G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. It is a controversial issue we'll talk about today, the age of the earth. As you know, the book of Genesis is one of the most controversial topics, not only in scientific circles because of its challenge to origins, but also within the Christian church. If you don't believe there is a God, it's easy to think that the earth is billions of years old. But if you do believe in God, what is written in Genesis is a challenge because the whole of creation, including the entire universe, is said to have been created in just six days. So atheistic scientists are quick to sink the boot into Christians. But when their own theories are questioned, the arguments of highly qualified creationists are more often superior. Well, our special guest today in the studio with us is Dr. Andrew Snelling. Andrew is Director of Research at Answers in Genesis and Editor-in-Chief of Answers Research Journal. He's an award-winning geologist, a former collaborative researcher with the CSIRO and was a consultant to the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation. He's in Australia for the Re-Engage Conference that starts tomorrow and is on on Saturday. It's a two-day conference. It's on in Brisbane on the north side in Rothwell at the Mueller Community Church. And Andrew is joining us. He's in the studio with us. Hello, Andrew. Welcome along. Good morning, Neil. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And uh, you've been living in the United States for the past six years, uh, but you've had a number of stamping grounds here mm-hmm. in Australia. Uh, Andrew, uh, Sydney and Brisbane, uh, those are the primary two uh, locations? And Darwin in the middle. Okay. So, so I, I grew up in Sydney. I studied at the University of New South Wales, went on to do a PhD at the University of Sydney, and then took a job. I was four, four and a half years based in Darwin with uh, two different mining companies, so I was getting field experience as well as uh, field research experience before I joined the creation ministry with Ken Ham here in Brisbane in uh, the end of 1983. And is it fair enough to say that uh, your day-to-day activity, apart from having a very busy speaking schedule uh, throughout North America and uh, where you're invited around the world, uh, that you're also spending a lot of time just researching and writing. I noted uh, when I was checking on some of the details about your background, just the number of articles, books that you've contributed to, a huge number of those. You spend a lot of time in research. Yes, my primary function is research, writing and publishing. Uh, you know, it's it's getting the evidence and, and doing it well, researching it well, so that uh, on the road when confronted with accusations of not doing your homework properly, we've done it well so that we can respond appropriately. And uh, there's some controversies that you've been involved in. Uh, the most recent one uh, you made a challenge to, in fact, uh, you took them to court, uh, the Grand Canyon Authority, uh, who tried to uh, 
stop you from collecting rock samples in the Grand Canyon. Uh, tell us how that story unfolds. Well, Neil, I'd previously had successful research projects in the Grand Canyon, so it's not as if I was just a newcomer. I had a track record. But uh, at the end of 2013, I put in an application and a research proposal, and it's quite appropriate that the park authorities vet who goes into the canyon, who collects samples, because otherwise anyone could go in there and do do deface rock faces and spoil it for everyone's enjoyment. And they have a process where it's peer-reviewed, and and that's fair enough as well. And so I went through due process, submitted the proposal, submitted the application, but then they declined the application. Uh, They put up spurious reasons, which I challenged, and uh, it, 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 it snowballed from there. I revised the application in 2016 and, and submitted it and still got got stonewalled. In the meantime, I'd had uh, attorneys in the US, an organisation called Alliance Defending Freedom, who specifically worked to protect uh, Christians having freedom to do their research, to, to make the stand that they should. And uh, they'd done freedom of information background searches to see the backstory of what was going on. And there was clear evidence from uh, communications between park officials and uh, scientists outside the park service pointing to the fact that I was a creationist and therefore I shouldn't be allowed to do research in the canyon. And so when we filed a lawsuit at the beginning of May this year in the federal court in Phoenix, uh, all that backstory was doc- documented as part of the files associated with the uh, with the lawsuit, and even even atheist bloggers recognised from seeing that documentation that there was a clear case of discrimination. It never went to court because by the time their attorneys talked to the attorneys for the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, acting on my behalf, they realised that they couldn't win the case. And they certainly didn't want to have their bosses dragged into court because their bosses all the way up to the Secretary of the Department of the Interior, a cabinet post, were named in the lawsuit. And so they said, how can we settle this? And so uh, we, we, we were able to, within six weeks, have the matter settled with the research permit granted. So that means you can roll up to the Grand Canyon any time now and uh, you're not faced with a frown but a smile. It's uh, welcome, Dr Snelling. Yes, you can well, come in here and uh, have a look at our rocks. Well, what we did is because the Park Service, quite rightly, has a concern about samples being collected in public view, we said, look, um, normally we would go through the canyon with, with guests on our, our regular commercial tour and... Uh, we'd have to collect the samples in front of them. So we said, if you could give us a permit as well to collect samples on a research-only trip, that would make it easier. And they granted that. And so we went in early August and collected the samples uh, out of public view very quickly, very quietly. So, And one of the things that's important to note is that part of the stipulations, and again, it's fair because this is the way science operates, that we're required to furnish reports. I've already furnished a trip report reporting on where the samples were collected, what samples were collected, and eventually as the results come in to report the results because then other scientists can see the information for themselves and and interpret them how they will in the future. Well, some people might be thinking, what is so important about the Grand Canyon? Because 
If we're going to have a discussion today about the age of the Earth, one of the biggest arguments that atheistic scientists would say is that the Grand Canyon is the biggest illustration of why it is that the Earth is billions of years old. And so to hear of your controversy taking the authority to court because you were looking for samples. What does the creationist see in those samples in the Grand Canyon uh, that might indicate a contrary view to the billions of years theory? Well, the first issue is why the Grand Canyon? Well, the reason is it's in a desert area, so there's no biology covering up all the geology. But you can actually walk from the bottom of the Grand Canyon where you've got the crystalline basement rocks that are part of the foundations of every continent. And then you've got a stack of layers with fossils in them, uh, all 15,000 feet all the way up through Zion National Park and Bryce Canyon National Park to the north, right up to the present time. And so it is a very uh, visual, uh, accessible slice through the history of the planet. And so that's why it features in all the geology textbooks, the Mecca for geologists and also for tourists with millions going there every year because it's a spectacular canyon. But because it is supposedly Exhibit A for billions of years and, and evolution, that is why the, the creationists have to confront that evidence and say, no, it's evidence for creation and for the catastrophic worldwide flood. And the issue is that did the layers take millions of years to form? What is the evidence in the layers that would point to the flood, for example, a year-long flood. And one of the issues that was at the fo- that was the issue that was at the focus of this research permit application, because um, there are layers that were deposited with fossils in them, supposedly 450 million, 500 sorry, 520 million years ago, according to the conventional wisdom, that were bent. That is, were folded, were, were bent through 90, uh, uh, virtually through a right angle. Uh, 450 million years supposedly after they were deposited. But they're, they're bent without fracturing. And uh, we're saying no. Well, it's obvious, therefore, that the sediment layers were still soft when they were bent because they were pliable. And the, and the conventional wisdom says no. With all the pressure and temperature, they were made pliable. But the problem is that would that would cause changes within the rocks. And that's why we wanted to go and get the sample so we could study the rocks to show that those rocks were soft when bent, not hard, and that would immediately eliminate 500 million years of Earth history. It would all be compressed to the flood because the flood was only a year-long event. If layers were deposited at the beginning of the flood and then bent at the end of the flood, they've had moisture in them, they haven't had time to dry out, so they'll be still soft and pliable. Everybody knows that a man-made rock like concrete, when the cement hardens, you try to break it, it's brittle and it fractures. We don't see that evidence in the rocks and we wanted to look at the microscopic level to make sure that there were no uh, changes in the rock that it would have facilitated it uh, being pliable after millions of years. And that was the heart. And they, the opposition knows that the evidence quite clearly doesn't point to the millions of years. So when we talk about this catastrophic flood, and we're talking about the biblical Noah's flood, mm-hmm. uh, would the flood, and you say it's a, it's a year-long flood, 
is the uh, the dynamic of that flood strong enough to have carved out something the size of the Grand Canyon in just one year? Well, the first thing is the layers themselves would that make up the plateau through which the canyon has been carved would have formed during the flood. Uh, you've got billions of fossils, marine fossils buried up on the continent. How could marine fossils get up on the continent unless they were washed up there? And that means the ocean waters cover the continent. So the layers were built up during that year, and then the flood waters retreat. And we can see the evidence of wide-scale, massive erosion of the plateau above where the canyon is. And then the last slot uh, it, that carved out the canyon, it was a lot of water in a little bit of time. There's lots of evidence for that. The, the, the one thing I point out to people, and they don't always can make the connection, but when you're travelling down the Grand Canyon today... The reason why there are rapids is because you get flash storms, flash flooding from the side canyons, bringing debris that blocks the course of the Colorado River, so the water has to flow over it through rapids. Now, even before the dams were put in, we've seen photographs and we've looked at the diary of John Wesley Powell in 1869. Some of those rapids haven't changed in in more than 150 years, and so... If the Colorado River, even in flood, the highest floods that we've ever known today, can't even clear out its channel of the debris that's been dumped there by flash flooding from the side canyons, how could it possibly have carved out the canyon itself? And yet that's the standard idea that over millions of years the Colorado River slowly carved out the Grand Canyon. We would say no, you had leftover flood water, probably as the plateau was lifted up, it, water was trapped up, up in the upland area and then it finally burst through and carved out that canyon very, very quickly in a matter of days to weeks. A lot of water, a little bit of time. And we've seen evidence of that when man-made dams or natural dams in, in other places like at Mount St. Helens uh, and also a man-made dam recently was uh, overtopped its spillway down in Texas and it carved out a, a canyon in a matter of hours. So we know that the catastrophic processes, even on a small scale, will produce large canyons very rapidly. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Dr. Andrew Snelling, our guest this hour, he is guest speaker alongside his colleague Ken Ham at the Re-Engage conference on, on the north side of Brisbane this weekend, starts tomorrow and is on Saturday as well. Andrew, let's take some calls. Let's first of all hear from Marguerite in Rockhampton in Queensland. Hello, Marguerite. Welcome along. Hi. How are you today, Neil? Very well, thank you. What are your thoughts? Do you have a question for our guest? I, I'm a believer in um, the Bible completely, um, you know, created through the Holy Spirit. And um, I have a atheist friend who um, more or less um, is very excited when, when she listens to ABC TV and sees all these things, how that, you know, and tries to um, more or less... Uh, well, not make a fool of me, but just try to, in front of friends, you know, she's always got something to say. I um, I have heard all these things and I, um, I'm not, you know, sort of believing them. I believe in God, the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. So what happened was one day, just out of the blue, it came out of my mouth and I said, well, how do you, and I have no, you know, I can't, 
Dr. Andrew, um, the, he, he knows everything and I know nothing. And I just said to her, I said, well, can you explain to me, I said, how the Grand Canyon soil is the same as Ayers Rock soil. I said, to me, being a Christian, I said, there was a big flood. And I said, you know, we think that's very unique in Australia when the Ayers Rock, Ayers Rock is there. But I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I said there is a possibility. I said that with the Grand Canyon the way that it is and Ayers Rock the way that there is, that's proof that there was a big flood. Well, I don't know whether that's true or not. Let's get a, a few thoughts from Dr. Andrew Snelling. Well, you're quite right, Marguerite. In fact, I'll be talking at the conference on Friday night. I'll be mentioning Uluru and, and uh, uh, Ayers Rock and, and the Olgas. They certainly are evidence of catastrophic geological processes that would have been unleashed at the beginning of the flood. And you're quite correct that there are layers in the Grand Canyon that are very similar to the sandstone that forms up forms Uluru or Ayers Rock. Uh, it, it's a very particular type of sandstone with particular minerals in it. And the interesting thing about the sandstone at the bottom of the pile of layers in the Grand Canyon is that sandstone can be traced all across North America and it can be traced all across northern Africa, all the way to southern Israel. You can go to the Negev uh, desert area in southern Israel, and you find exactly the same sandstone with ex- sitting on exactly the same rocks underneath. And it's uncanny. Uh, and it's evidence of the global catastrophic flood. So you're not far wrong at all. There is lots of evidence there in the rocks that there was a catastrophic global flood. And you, it's a good question to pose to your uh, atheist friend, because they, they often they just espouse what they hear, but they haven't really stopped to think. One of the, one of the things that I always ask people when I'm confronted with, with diametrically opposed ideas, well, what is the assumptions that are you, are you using to make that assertion? And usually they haven't stopped to think about that as assumptions. And their assumption is that layers, like the, the layers of sandstone and airs rock, took millions of years to form. But what I'm going to point out on Friday night, the evidence within the rock itself shows that it had to be catastrophically deposited, which rules out millions of years. Marguerite from Rockhampton, thank you so much for your call today. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might have a question for Dr. Andrew Snelling. We are talking about the age of the earth and our conversation about the floods, about the Grand Canyon. We've brought into the mix Uluru, Ayers Rock, you might have another question, you might have your own insight, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Daniel in Campbelltown in New South Wales. Hello, Daniel, welcome along. Oh, hi, how are you? Very well. Daniel, what are your thoughts? Well, when it comes to the the whole issue of creation versus evolution, and, and I actually listened to a lot of Kent Hovind, I don't know if you've heard of him. Yes, I have. Yeah, well, um, the way I see it, see, a lot of these... Uh, evolutionists uh, uh, accused us of, or they actually criticise us for believing in creation by faith. But what they don't realise is that they're also believing their textbook by faith because, first of all, nobody was there when God created the earth, so we're believing our book by faith. And nobody was there when the Big Bang happened, so they're believing their book by faith. You're absolutely right, Daniel. Yeah, that's, that's the only comment that I wanted to make because a lot of the time they criticise us for it, but they don't realise that they're actually doing exactly the same thing. Exactly. The thing to point out is, too, is that we have a robust faith in that we're not... It's not just blind faith. We can 
like we can read Genesis chapter 7 about the flood, all the hills under the whole of the heaven were covered and the mountains were covered, wouldn't we expect to find evidence that the ocean waters flooded the continents? And we do. We find marine fossils buried up on the continents. So we're not flying blind in our faith because we have the concrete evidence that the flood left behind. And the same with creation. It shows God's handiwork that an intelligent designer had to make things working perfectly in unison right from the start, not not half a wing and half a jaw, you know, half a leg and half a wing. An animal couldn't fly that was halfway between in its its evolutionary stages. So who has the bigger faith? We don't we have we have concrete reality that we can hang our faith on. Thank you so much to Daniel from Campbelltown in New South Wales. Our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. We are talking about the age of the Earth. You might have a question that's related. It might be an evolution and creation type question. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let me talk, Andrew, uh, just for a moment. Uh, the issues to do with evolutionists using fossils as supposed proof of evolution and therefore the old earth, the billions of years, how do you come to this question of fossils? How do you respond? Well, the the evolutionist believes that the fossil record is a record of animals living and dying over millions of years, that you've got simple life in the lower layers evolved over millions of years to more complex life in higher layers. But from the biblical perspective, the flood, the fossil record is a record of the burial, the burial order of creatures during the flood. And if you go to the, the lower layers, they're not simple organisms at all. You, one of the earliest organisms is a trilobite and had a complex eye that was made up of multiple lenses that enabled it to see underwater in all directions at once without ab- ab- spherical aberration. And uh, we, with all our ingenuity, have only been able to design similar lens systems in our laboratories in the last 50 years. And that these creatures appear suddenly in the fossil record without any evidence of, or a hint of an ancestor. Where did the eye come from? The evolutionists can't answer that. Even Charles Darwin said to look at the eye, it made him shudder. And yet we can say, no, in the beginning God created, and then all these animals were rapidly buried during the flood. Not over millions of years but in a devastating event when God said he was going to destroy life from off the face of the earth. And that's how I would approach the issue. We have no evidence of, of so-called in-between forms where one creature was changing or another. We see snapshots of different organisms that were buried as a result of the rise of the flood waters sweeping across the continents, burying different habitats. Let's stay on fossils for a few moments. There was a news story that came from the Smithsonian last year. You're no doubt across this sort of thing, but as the story goes, after 68 million years in the ground, allegedly, a Tyrannosaurus rex found in Montana was dug up. Its leg bone was broken in pieces and fragments were dissolved in acid in a laboratory at North Carolina State University. It was big news indeed last year when the woman who discovered this, Mary Schweitzer, announced that she had discovered blood vessels Mm. and structures that looked like whole cells inside that T-Rex bone, the first observation of its kind. And, of course, this finding amazed colleagues because how can you have Mm. blood cells in something that is millions of years old? Uh, What's your thoughts, your perspective on that whole thing? Absolutely, Neil. I'm glad you raised that because it's, it's, it's caused a lot of perplexity and consternation amongst the evolutionary community because we know in the laboratory 
that that proteins, uh, cells, blood vessels, they all deteriorate. We can actually study the rate at which they deteriorate and, and decay away. And so to be confronted with these fresh blood cells, blood vessels, proteins, DNA fragments that shouldn't be there after 68 million years is causing the scientific community to say, well, maybe it's contamination, maybe there's a process that we haven't yet discovered that caused them to be preserved. But it's all all by faith. They're, they're taking leaps outside the evidence that's staring in the face that these these fossils can't be millions of years old. If they were buried during the flood, they're only a few thousand years old, and that's well within the time frame where they could be preserved in the ground since the flood. But, of course, everybody who thinks or hears about, or as we heard a little earlier, those endless documentaries that you'll see on the ABC and other stations uh, that all are talking about evolution, we're continually bombarded with this idea that dinosaurs and fossils are millions of years old and they couldn't possibly be young. Well, that's right. We're bombarded with that all the time, but they forget that the word dinosaur was uninvented in 1841 by Sir Richard Owen. And prior to that, the ancients referred to them as dragons. And there's lots of stories of people having encounters with creatures whose descriptions are identical to known dinosaurs. There's, there's cave paintings. There's um, inscriptions on tombs even in, in the United Kingdom. I've seen some of those. There's lots of evidence that people knew about dinosaurs that they lived with man after the flood because they went on the ark and they came off the ark. And so, uh, you know, we need to keep confronting the evidence that's, that's thrown in our faces, these claims that are made that the, the dinosaurs died out millions of years before man evolved. No. The evidence indicates that the dinosaur fossils are young, they were buried during the flood, and the dinosaurs did survive after the flood because Noah had to take on, to, on board two of every kind of land-dwelling, air-breathing creature, and dinosaurs fitted that description. Well, we're talking about the age of the Earth, and we'll take more calls after Vision National News. You can be a part of our program today, 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Dr. Andrew Snelling. He's Director of Research at Answers in Genesis and Editor-in-Chief of Answers Research Journal. He's in Australia and is on the same bill speaking with his colleague Ken Ham at the Re-Engage Conference. It's on this weekend. Tomorrow and on Saturday, a two-day conference at Mueller Community Church, 75 Morris Road, Rothwell. That's on the north side of Brisbane. There is a website, reengage.org.au. We're back with more after Vision National News. Well, our special guest is with us in the studio, Dr. Andrew Snelling, Director of Research at Answers in Genesis. He's a colleague of Ken Ham. You might know we had Ken Ham on just recently, and uh, the man who was the spearhead behind the Ark Encounter, the life-size version of Noah's Ark in Kentucky in the United States. Well, working alongside Ken as a longtime friend and colleague uh, is Dr. Andrew Snelling. And uh, Andrew, just before we take some more calls and people lining up, uh, the Ark Encounter, it's been just a huge success, hasn't it? Absolutely. And it's very confronting because the Ark itself is an exhibit you know, a 510-foot-long vessel. You know, Ken can tell you that he's had secular uh, journalists along and they go in there and they're gobsmacked and say, well, maybe he could have fed all the animals in here because they actually see the size and scale of it. But what's very important, Neil, uh, to us is that 
people are coming out of curiosity. Many unbelievers, in fact, over half of those who've come, and we've had over, we've had over a million in the first year. Many of them are unbelievers because they're curious. And we've got exhibits inside the ark that confront them with the evidence that supports what the scriptures teach about the age of the earth and about the flood. And they have to go and through a gospel presentation exhibit, which is the heart of the matter. I mean, we can convince people that there was a flood. We can convince people that there was a creator. But we need to confront them with their eternal destiny and present them the creator himself, Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's dwell on this just for a moment before we take some more calls, because this is, I think, very, very important. Because if you are a creationist and you're creating an argument against the evolutionists just for the sake of trying to win an argument, just to say that your science is better than their science, well, you're completely wasting your time because that would be a meaningless exercise if there was not a motive to it. And the motive that you're saying is that you need to introduce people to the gospel message. Yeah, well, Paul says in the book of Romans that the evidence for God's existence is in the world that he's made, but people suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's not that they don't know that there is a creator. They don't want to know him. And so our job is to give a testimony for what we believe and why we believe to present them to the creator, Jesus Christ, because ultimately it's not about science. It's a spiritual issue. We weren't there back at the beginning. Neither were the evolutionists. None of us were there to witness the earth when it was created by God. But we have a personal relationship with the creator himself, which confirms in our hearts and our minds that what we read in the scriptures is totally the true account of, of the earth's history because God was there and he's told us what happened. And so the reason we do the science is not to win an argument, as you've just said, is to ultimately bring them back to the confronting issues of their eternal destiny and therefore present them with the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, Andrew, some Christian believers are threatened by the science that's coming from atheistic scientists. But what you're saying is... When you get into these types of conversations, this is the opportunity that you've been looking for. Exactly. You can confront them with the inconsistencies in their arguments. You can confront them with their unprovable assumptions because they weren't there. You can confront them with the faith that they're exercising, which is ultimately blind faith, no reason things came into being by chance, random processes. When you die, that's all there is. There's nothing after after death, because ultimately you're trying to lead them back to think about why am I here? What is the purpose for living? Is there is there really a creator? And therefore you have the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus Christ, the creator. And now the point that I make to people, for Christians particularly, Jesus demonstrated by his miracles that he was and is the creator. And if he could still a storm, a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee instantly with a word, what's the difference back in Genesis when Jesus says, let there be light and instantly there was light? It's a strong argument. Let's take some more calls. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Mary in Victoria. Hello, Mary. Thanks for waiting patiently. Mary, are you with us? Mary, you might have to call us back, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Tom in Logan in Queensland. Hello, Tom. Welcome along. Yes, um, I, years ago I was working down in the Gold Coast doing deliveries, and um, when you go underneath some of those car parks and the high-rise buildings, you see um, water dripping down, and it, it forms like a small... Now, 
I keep getting the two mixed up, either stalactite or stalactite, and um, they're, they're about a couple of inches high, and I, I, I'm thinking that's the building couldn't be more than 30 years old. I was just wondering what Andrew's thoughts are on that. Very astute observation, Tom. Congratulations. That's right. It's stalactite. The way to remember is that it hangs on tight to the ceiling. And so, yes, uh, there's lots of... Uh, I've heard of other examples like that where water coming through the concrete has dissolved some of the cement and then when the water forms a drip on, a, on an overhang, what happens is the air evaporates the water and leaves behind the cement and it very quickly builds up a stalactite. And, you know, you can go to some of the caves. I remember one of my colleagues going uh, through one of the Janolan caves years ago down in down west of Sydney and, you know, the, the guide was giving all the spiel about it takes thousands and thousands of years and uh, the, he said, well, how long did it take that stalactite there growing up off the electric light wires? Because obviously the electric light wires hadn't been there for very long and yet there was a stalactite up there that was inches long. And you're quite right. When they actually measure them, they, they, they grow very rapidly. It doesn't take thousands and thousands of years. You can get quite a long stalactite within a few hundred years. Okay, thank you so much to Tom from Logan in Queensland and our talk pack line open on 1-800-316-316 and uh, almost comical to think that you can just go into the underground car park at a high-rise building on the Gold Coast and so many of our listeners, you'll visit the Gold Coast on holiday. You might keep an eye out for that next time but there's evidence for creation or there's an anomaly in the idea of the way that billions of years is being talked about simply when you go on holidays you're in the undercover underground car park at a, at a hotel it is very very significant taking calls 1-800-316-316 let's hear from robin in longreach in queensland hello robin welcome along thank you what are your thoughts um, I robin i wanted to ask the doctor um apparently um, I'm just still unsure on this point. In Genesis, there's um, stories about Nephilim and about giants and I look on archaeological things on um, on the internet and there people seem to have evidence of actual giants and um, I'm just wondering, have you ever come across anything like that? Yes, Robin, you're well to ask because there's a lot of spoofs going around the internet and that was one of them. Uh, where there were supposed to be giant skeletons that had been found. Um, but, but by the same token, there is evidence of giants. When you think of Goliath after the flood, David slew Goliath. There were, there were giants or Nephilim after the flood as well. These were humans that were a higher stature, taller than the average height that we have even back in biblical times. And so, yes, there were definitely giants. Uh, before the flood, giants after the flood, and there's uh, archaeological evidence for them as well as the bi- biblical evidence. Robin, yeah, does that um, answer your question? Yeah, can I ask another quick sure. one? Sure, yep. Um, they're saying on some churches are saying that they were you know, produced from angels, but in the New Testament it talks about that angels don't reproduce, so I, that just doesn't seem to add up to me. Well, you're right, Robin, and that's one of the controversies because there's basically two schools of thoughts among theologians as far as I'm aware. There's those that think of the godly line, the Seth line, intermarrying with the Cain, and I, the Cain line, and so you had the, the, the sons, sons of God 
being the Seth line and the daughters of men being the Canaanite line. Whereas others will say, no, the, the scriptures always talk about the sons of God as being angels. And whether it was demonic uh, involved, fallen angels uh, that were cohabiting with uh, women, it is unclear. And there's debate even amongst theologians. But you're quite right. One of the verses that, that always comes to my mind is the very one you that you've pointed to, that the angels are not given in marriage. Jesus himself said but, but the theologians are divided because of the language there in Hebrew. And sometimes there are aspects in the scriptures where there is division, but, but we need to hold lightly to those divisions because ultimately we won't find the, the final answer until we get to glory. And as I often say to people, when I get to heaven, all my questions will evade into insignificant when I see God in all his glory anyway. Thank you so much to Robin from Longreach in Queensland. Let's hear from another Robin in Mount Morgan. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Oh, yes. Hi. Um, look, you're talking about that last lady, what she was talking about. Yeah. Have you, you're, are you familiar with um, the work of Tom Horn and Steve Quayle? No, I'm not. Elucidate for me. Oh, well, he, they, they've really studied this a lot, and they're really, set, um, especially Tom Horn, he's recommended by um, Chuck Missler. Um, I get so frustrated because they prove that all of the evidence is being deliberately covered up. It's, it's, it's typical of today. There is so much that's being, um, you know, everything's like an attack on God, and it's a deliberate, deliberate cover-up. Yes, Rob, and we have to we, we have to be careful. That's true. Uh, we have to always question um, what the scientists are ignoring. Uh, we have to be careful not to accuse them deliberately of covering up, although that does happen by simply ignoring things. But I'm not aware of, of that work, so it'll be interesting to explore what they've what they've uncovered. Thank you so much to your, uh, for your call, Robin, in Mount Morgan. We are taking calls 1-800-316-316. There may be time for another call or two. Uh, before we do, uh, Andrew, let me come to another one of those huge issues if we're talking about the age of the earth and this idea of a young earth or an old earth. Uh, the idea of radioactive dating, the methodology that's used by scientists to be able to establish an alternative way uh, to be able to say how old things are. Uh, is this a confusing thing for a lot of Christians? Uh, is it reliable as a method? Uh, what are your thoughts as a geologist? It is confusing for a lot of Christians because the scientists quote exact numbers. You know, it's 841.5 million years old and, and, you know, it's come out of a laboratory. Therefore, it must be, must be well established. I'm going to speak about this in more detail on Saturday in the presentation after lunch at the conference, the re-engage conference. But basically, again, we have to ask the assumptions that go into those dates. And the problem is those assumptions are unprovable and and really are, are not good assumptions. Well, they're good assumptions, but we can't prove them and they're not even reasonable. Basically, it's it's you've got to know the starting conditions. You know, a, a radioactive atom changes into a, a stable daughter atom. You've got to know whether there are only parent radioactive atoms in the rock to begin with but you weren't there to test the rock. You've got to be sure that there's been no contamination over the millions of years, and you've got to know the exact rate of decay, that it's been 
constant at the rate we measure today. And the interesting thing is I explored the literature and research that I found that uh, there's a lot of debate even amongst geologists about what is the precise values for the rate of decay to get today. We know of a lot of anomalies that show that contamination has occurred. We know of a lot of anomalies where there's been daughter atoms already in the rock that, that weren't taken into account. What the scientist does is get a rock sample. He does a chemical analysis, and the chemical analysis is fine because that's a repeatable laboratory measurement, but then he interprets that chemical analysis as an age based on those assumptions. And so the methods are not reliable. And as a creationist and uh, with a scientific geologic background that you have, uh, you would look at those results with a different lens? Absolutely. Uh, what I find is that uh, the, the, the dates certainly are in the right order in the rocks, but they're way, too, they're way out of, of, of uh, the timescale from the biblical perspective. One of the projects I was involved in was looking at uh, these methods, and we discovered evidence in rock units in the Grand Canyon that, that shows that the decay rates were speeded up in a, a geological catastrophe in the past. In other words, geological processes were more rapid during the flood for depositing layers and building up the, the burying the fossils, but uh, radioactive decay was probably faster in the past. You only have to change the binding forces that hold the atoms, the the nuclei, the particles in the nuclei together. And uh, you just change that slightly and you change the decay rates. And so that could have happened during the flood that makes the rocks appear artificially old. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Coming to a point where we can just tie some loose ends together, I imagine, Andrew, that people are, wherever you speak to them, on a journey and as we've heard from earlier, uh, people bombarded with all sorts of documentaries, uh, all sorts of information, the internet, uh, social media, uh, everything appears to be against the creationist. Mm. Uh, how do you describe the journey that people are on and uh, what's the tipping point that gets people across the line to say, I believe God in his word? Usually, Neil, people have imbibed a certain ideas or they've been challenged by certain statements made in documentaries or by scientists and that's proving to be a niggling stumbling block. We come along and we answer their doubts, showing that the evidence in the world, in God's world, confirms what we read in God's word, and you know, the light bulbs go, go on. We repeatedly get testimony of people whose lives have been changed as a result of being presented with the evidence that they can trust God's word from the very first verse. I suspect, too, that if you were a new listener to our program today, and this is the first time you've ever heard anything about a creationist speaking, it's not the last time you need to hear creationists speaking about this evidence and the opportunity that comes when you're able to argue the point, uh, confront and engage in this conversation. People need to have a steady diet of understanding of how these things are because it is all so complex. That's right. And that's why we produce literature. We have a website that people can, with a search engine, that people can look at the information, you know, answers to the questions that they have because we repeatedly find that as people get answers to their questions, they become confirmed in their faith, they're emboldened in their witness, and they turn from doubters into gospel presenters. Some people have a more simplistic way of thinking about these things. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. 
Uh, and that's all well and good, mm-hmm. but not everybody takes that simplistic approach. Some people are looking for more depth. Some people are looking for real, scientific, peer-reviewed journal material. And that's your area as well. Correct. And the point is we're told, we're commanded to be able to give a reason for the faith that we have. And so that's an intelligent response that grasps with the issues and that's why we're in the business of writing and doing the research and publishing so that we can put these tools in the hands of people to go out there and give a testimony to their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the trust, truthworthiness of his word. And Andrew, I imagine that in many of the meetings that you speak in or the correspondence that you receive, these are people who do have very highly recognized degrees who are coming from a place where they were sold on this idea of the old earth, uh, sold on the idea of evolution, but you must have contact with people all the time who are getting to a point where they say, well, some of this doesn't make sense. I'm going to explore this more deeply. You're absolutely right. In fact, a lot of our supporters and constituents are those who have been on that journey, who've been been bombarded with this evidence, but who have the qualifications and they've said, okay, I'm going to dig into this. And when they dig into it and come across our materials, their lives have been changed and they get excited and they want more and more information so they can go out and do battle for God's word. I imagine that Answers in Genesis has lots of good resources that people can access online. If you were wanting to get a hold of the Answers Research Journal, of which you are the editor-in-chief, how do people do that? You go to Answers in Genesis, www.answersingenesis.org, and you scroll down the, the homepage, and there's an icon for the Answers Research Journal. There's an icon for our Answers magazine. There's a search engine for any question or any issue that will take you to any article on our website. We've got thousands of free articles that can be downloaded and and used anywhere in the world free of charge at any time. It's a great resource, www.answersingenesis.org. Well, let me point people to the meeting that you and your colleague Ken Ham are addressing this weekend. And for Southeast Queensland listeners, uh, making the effort to get along might be a very useful and valuable thing for you and perhaps even take a friend uh, who is a scientist uh, to hear what is being said. It's on tomorrow night and on Saturday, the Re-Engage Conference at the Mueller Community Church in Morris Road, Rothwell, on the north side of Brisbane. There is a website, reengage.org.au. And uh, Dr. Andrew Snelling, addressing fossils and rock layers, the flood, not evolution and millions of years. And uh, on Saturday, science confirms a young earth, the radioactive dating methods are flawed. Uh, That's the two topics that you're largely engaging this weekend. Uh, Andrew Snelling, just a pleasure to have you in the studio and look forward to another opportunity next time you're visiting Australia. But thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us on 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's a delight to be with you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.